Hey everybody, welcome to The Well. I'm Dylan Bowman, and today I've got a really special episode for you. And I recognize I say that every week, but I always do mean it. And this conversation is a really fun one for me. It's a conversation I recorded this week with someone who's had a huge, huge impact on my career behind the scenes and also in the career of a lot of different athletes across a huge variety of sports. Our guest today is Aaron Lutzi. He is my athlete marketing manager at Red Bull. In addition to being a full-time supporter of professional athletes, Aaron is also a former pro mountain biker himself. He's also a content creator, ultra runner, husband, father, and many other things. He is a true renaissance man, and he has a lot of unique and interesting insights into the past, present, and future landscape on the industry side of professional sports. So, of course, out of respect to Aaron's career, we, we didn't touch on anything that's really too specific to Red Bull, but instead kept it very high level, focusing on the ever-evolving competition and media environment, what it's like to be a professional athlete in the 21st century, especially focusing on non-traditional sports like ultra running. And of course, we also talk about Aaron's personal and professional background, his intro to ultra running, his new YouTube channel, which is called Lutzi Time, and much, much more. Finally, and we cover this in the conversation too, but I just wanted to flag it on the front end. For loyal listeners to this podcast, Aaron is honestly the reason that the well exists. Without his support, this would have never happened. So it was truly an honor to host him as a guest on the show that he helped create. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode and the perspective that Aaron brings. Please welcome Aaron Lutzi. Aaron Lutzi, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Heck yeah, man. And here in person and... uh, in North Portland, and uh, I figured I'd start with a really easy question for you. Is that and that is, you know, am I your favorite athlete in the world? <laughs> am I the favorite athlete you've ever worked with, or is it like kids where you can't say who your favorite athlete is? It's very much like kids, but you're fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, bro. Well, you know, the feeling is mutual. You know, we've been. Longtime friends, you're my life coach in a lot of ways, a mentor in a lot of ways. You're my boss in some ways as well. And uh, now we get to sit down and talk about all that stuff. But I think it would be relevant to just start with a a little bit of background about who you are, where you grew up, um, you know, where you're from, um, you know, all the uh, things that make Aaron Lucy the person you are today and what you do professionally. So, uh, so tell us what's, what's your life story in a nutshell? Uh, well, I grew up in Wisconsin in the middle of nowhere, uh, which is kind of a funny place for someone who turned out to be at one point, a professional mountain biker to grow up. Um, I was actually the smallest kid in my class, no athletic ability whatsoever, really just like super nerdy kid that, that, uh, found bikes uh, around the age of 15 or 16. I was on a family vacation in Idaho in just a random campground, riding my bike around the campground. And this this kid from Germany came up and showed me how to hop on my back wheel, 
by the time I got home from that vacation, I was committed to being a professional trials rider. And, you know, within the next five or six years, actually realized that dream and then just kept following that and chasing that and, and uh, just stayed within sport and eventually videography and just kept like chasing and chasing. And um, yeah, here I am, moved out to Portland in 2005 and have moved around the last 11 years for my job, um, but made it back here in the last couple of years. And now you and I get to work together and throw high fives and do awesome stuff. And it's so fun, isn't it? And I, I feel like before we move on from background, we should talk a little bit about um, you know, the for the loyal listeners of the podcast, I think it would be relevant to talk about the uh, how you played into the the humble beginnings of the show and sort of pushed me to uh, to finally, you know, put my money where my mouth was and, and get this thing off the ground. You want to talk about that a little bit? Is is push the right word? <laughs> Probably, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you and I have spent so much time together, and and just listening to how much interest you have in, you know, sports talk radio and podcasts and, you know, specifically ultra running, but really all the sports, um, it just seemed like such an obvious thing and you had all the, all the reasons to do it. And maybe just one last nudge from me, push you over the line or last couple nudges, but I'm really happy to see it. I mean, uh, I guess loyal listener and first time caller today, (laughs) but you know, you've done fantastic with it. And it's so fun just to, to hear from all these people that I've wanted to hear in depth conversations with. And, um, I'm honored to be here. Wow, dude. Well, dude, it wouldn't exist without you. And that's no exaggeration. I mean, from when we first met each other, you know, four or five years ago at this point, I mean, I was thinking about it at that point. I was an early adopter as a, a podcast listener and uh, I remember like the first runs we ever went on, I was like, oh man, I just want to start a podcast and talked about it and talked about it and talked about it until one day you just said, dude, stop talking about it. Like, what can I do to help you actually get this thing off the ground? And, and that was uh, the, uh, the motivation and the inspiration that I needed to do it. And now it provides me so much joy. So thank you, Aaron Lutzi. You are the man. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about what you mentioned before about um, bike bike riding and uh, your history there um, with content creation and and uh, and biking yourself. Um, you know, it seems like you sort of got your start in kind of the sports marketing world. Um, you know, around mountain biking, and this is sort of like when mountain biking was kind of exploding in North America and around the world. Um, Tell us about that part of your career and how it sort of like launched you in the direction that you've been taking over the last uh, yeah, decade or so. Yeah, when I was in college, um, I became professional for mountain bike trials, which is what you see Danny McCaskill or Fabio Widmer or any of those guys that are hopping around on, on YouTube. That's what I was doing in my, my early 20s. And I was doing demonstrations on the Vans Warp Tour two summers in a row. I was doing shows for bike shops. I was, um, you know, filming and taking photos and going to contests and, and doing my thing. And my junior year roommate, who was just a random guy that, you know, we ended up in the same room, 
had some video editing software and was like, hey, I'll go out with you on campus and we'll film some stuff and edit it. And I looked over his shoulder, watched him edit the clip together, and was like, I can do that for Mm -hmm. sure. And so I started taking a camera on all of the trips, all the road trips we were going to to contest and filming my friends. And I put together a video series called Match Videozine. And it became kind of a thing. And I put out nine issues over the following couple of years. And from there, started working more into like the free ride side of things and working with all these up and coming riders. And that was kind of the vibe of the whole thing was to find new talent and then give them a platform to become mm-hmm. known. And so we saw a lot of riders who even now, like Brandon Semenuk is arguably one of the best mountain bikers in the world. Mm-hmm. He was in uh, match seven or eight, yeah. you know. And so this what was, year is that? Uh, maybe like 2004. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it all, it all kind of came together. And, and so that kind of put me into the industry. I was going to contest and, and filming all these riders and we were, this is some of the stuff is actually pre YouTube. We were making branded content for bike companies or component companies. And then we would just put the video file on their website Yeah. and yeah, there was no such thing as embedding a YouTube code or whatever. You just made it and plugged it in and, and went from there. And wow. I think about the stuff we were doing back then into like how easy it is to do that now and um, what would have happened if we would have started a YouTube page back then. <laughs> <and ran laughs> you do the Joe Rogan of, uh, right? of YouTube on uh, mountain biking at this point. Yeah. So were you like, at what point did your focus become more on like the content creation side rather than you know, sort of the riding yourself and competing. Yeah, the the irony was trials riding at the time, there was no money, there was no eyeballs, no one cared about it at all. Mm. Whereas now it's flipped, you know, the arguably some of the highest paid mountain bikers in the world are trials riders. I mean, Danny and Fabio are absolutely slaying. Um, Or so I've been told. But, (laughs) you know, it got to a point where there wasn't really a whole lot there. And so I'd been working with all these other free riders and I started working as a TM for some mountain bike companies, you know. That's a team manager. Team, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. team manager. I was a team manager for Using a couple. Using the industry jargon. Yeah, I'm already deep <laughs> into it. But I started working with them, and I, they saw me connecting with these athletes and filming them, and they just wanted both sides of, like, a content creator and someone who could pull in new talent to their brands. And so we kind of started structuring deals in that way where it was, hey, you can be our TM if you also film these guys doing their thing and let us know who the next hot athlete is going to be because we want them to. And I continued down that road. I was at a contest in Europe and one of my really good friends at the time who was an up and coming rider was sleeping on my floor. I was working for the contest series and he was trying to stay in Europe to keep riding and filming. And we were on this bench in Belgium waiting for a train. And I was like, man, how is it that you're so good at riding bikes, but like you, you're sleeping on my floor. Like, this is crazy. So that year we went to Interbike, which was the trade show for bikes. And I basically put together a pitch, which was all content based. We're going to make a DVD around this guy. We're going to ride every kind of bike that your bike company has. We're going to travel the world. We're going to do all these ridiculous things. Give us money. Mm-hmm. And we ended up raising enough money to do that. We went to New Zealand, Australia, all over Europe, uh, Canada, obviously. Like, we were everywhere. And we filmed it. We put out the DVD. And, and then we did it another year. And uh, we had a s- super strong list of sponsors. And, and I was managing the athletes. And more athletes were coming into the program so that they could be in the DVD. 
this is also kind of pre YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really like where, where the content thing just like grabbed hold. Dude, you were so ahead of your time. I mean, it's so fun to talk to you about this, but like, this is basically what today is kind of athlete marketing media environment is now. And it seems like you run like the leading edge of that within the, the niche sport that you were involved in at the time. So at what point did that sort of transition into you sort of being a full-time athlete manager and uh, athlete supporter? I mean, when I got into the 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 last project we did was called Summer of Shred. That's when I was managing both the athletes and the travel and filming and all that mm -hmm. stuff in in kind of one shot. And that's when it became really obvious to me that that was where everything was headed. Mm -hmm. And I think that gave me a big leg up when I went to go get a quote unquote real job because I understood how media worked, but I also understood athletes and then how that stuff fit together. But I think through all of this and, you know, being ahead of my time or whatever is cool. I think I was just trying to take a step back and understand how everything fit together. Like what does the puzzle really look like? Why are athletes riding? I had, um, this guy came up to me when I was on the warp tour and he was talking to me about being a professional athlete and everything. Cause I was still trying to make the dream happen. Yeah. I think that was in 2002. And he's like, you know, what you don't understand is that you're entertainment. And that really hit me because I thought, oh, I'm just trying to win this contest. You know, I'm just trying to get better. I'm trying to progress my skill, whatever. And I never realized like, well, why do people watch athletes? Like they want to be inspired. They want this aspirational goal to chase after. But like, yeah, it is on a certain level entertainment. And mm -hmm. once that clicked in my head, I was like, okay, well, how do these pieces now fit together? Like, I understand what I do is entertaining to people. I understand that they're following me for a very specific reason and they can't enjoy standing on the top step of the podium, but they can be entertained by me standing mm -hmm. on it. So how does, what are the elements that could also go with that? The video content is part of that and doubling down into the video thing may open up a lot more doors for all of us if we kind of lean into it. And that's really where all of it kind of came together. So what was the hustle like at that point? I mean, it seems like you guys were kind of living on a shoestring and um, probably kind of, it was a labor of love. I mean, you probably weren't, as you said, it wasn't really like quote unquote, a, a real job. At which point did you s start to think like, okay, like I've sort of reached the end of what I can achieve here, but I, I'm good at what I do and I'm passionate about what I do. Let's start looking for the next thing. It was actually 2008, uh, the recession that was impending at that point, kind of everyone in the bike industry was taking a deep breath and I mm -hmm. saw some of the marketing budgets starting to dry up and I started getting pretty nervous. At that point, what was keeping me going was I would do these bike projects for fun and then I was on Craigslist or reaching out to people in Portland to do other video work. So mm -hmm. I had like a video business on the side. I did stuff for... There was this company called G Diapers where it was these uh, flushable <laughs> diapers, right? Um, I worked for a lot of just local Portland companies that needed a uh, little video. And again, this is the beginning of people understanding what branded content was. Mm -hmm. So I was providing kind of their V1 of all the things that they would eventually go on to do. And so I would do whatever it took to make sure that the lights stayed on. And then anything that we brought in for any of the mountain bike content was just like, 
as long as it could pay for my trip and I could sort of eat along the way. I mean, I've definitely been in a couple countries like looking at a you know double digit bank balance. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess I'll have water. <laughs> a long way from home. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, and and when the recession hit, it was kind of like take a step back and like, okay, is this gonna is this gonna work? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for me. An important factor, I have a son who, you know, um, I needed to make sure was taken care of at that point. So I couldn't be as cavalier with a lot of the stuff I was doing at that at that point in my life either. I had to make sure that, you know, the lights did stay on and that I could continue to to provide for him and and, uh, you know, be an adult, which uh, a lot of the other people I was, you know, in the same boat with didn't have those kind of. you know, elements in their oh. life to, to kind of deal with. So I had a lot of things that I was trying to juggle. And truthfully, like with him in my life, I, I, I had to be successful. I had no choice, but to, to oh. be a hundred percent every single time and to, to over deliver on everything I do so that I would for sure get hired back. So he was a motivating, he was an educational force in my life from day one. Dude, goosebumps, man. That's so great. And I mean, it makes total sense. I mean, with, how much I know about you now and you over delivering and always, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, not only doing good work, but also kind of like making sure that people are taken care of. And yeah, I think the taking care of both like the human side of things and kind of the business side of things. I mean, that started from a young age. Was that like a, that must've been kind of a tough point in your life having to grow up before your friends were, were really growing up and having a son to look after and also kind of like trying to figure out what direction you wanted your career to take. What sort of memories do you have from that time that you think have, have shaped the uh, trajectory you've been on since? Yeah. I mean, having priorities that early on in life was, is something that really shaped everything. You know, you, you can't fail. You, you actually cannot fail. Yeah. And if you do fail, you have to go out and work twice as hard to make sure that you make up for that, mm. you know? Um, and, and not everything can be a hundred percent focused on work. Cause you've got this little dude who, who needs your attention too. And I learned so much. And, and I tell him this too, it's just like, you taught me so much. You kept me motivated. You kept me like always striving because at the end of the day, if, if I wanted to just, you know, be a normal guy and be his dad, I would have had to give up my, you know, on some of my stuff, my dreams. And I didn't want to do that. But I also understood that I had to over deliver on everything else I was doing for him so that I would have kind of that extra space to be able to chase a dream as well. Like I for sure could have gotten a regular job at like a hardwood flooring, you know, whatever place and just like done, done the work and, and, uh, taken care of him and just forgotten about my dreams. I could have totally given up on it all, mm-hmm. but I don't think that that would have done anything good for me or him, you know, uh, and, and talking to him now, uh, you know, like lately I've been sharing a lot of my old footage with him from, you know, like mid two thousands when he was, you know, younger and, and like, yeah, this is that time I was in Africa. This is when we went to New Zealand and look at this crazy thing. And he's like, I can't believe you were doing all this stuff too. Like, that's so wild. It's like, I had to be 200% on every single thing I did to make sure that I never fell off on any of it. You yeah. Know? Well, you've been sharing some of that awesome old footage on your YouTube channel, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but it's so cool to look back at that sort of like nascent, nascent early humble beginnings of, 
of uh, mountain biking and trials riding, uh, and you've done a great job of documenting it. And those uh, archives, I think, are probably going to be pretty valuable uh, in the future. So we'll talk more about that in a sec. And so, you know, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it's kind of important to just set the precedent. I mean, we're not going to talk directly about Red Bull, but you you work for Red Bull. Eventually, you transition to getting a, a real job there. You now work with athletes. And uh, I'm wondering, sort of like, was that a moment in your life where you felt like you sort of like caught a break? And then were you also sort of committed to that over delivery on, on value in order to sort of like make, keep the dream alive, provide for your son and keep pursuing the, the interests that you have. I think that when I got to Red Bull, it was very much the exact same feeling that I believe athletes have when they first get signed, um, where they first get their first hat or helmet is half of it is validation of like what I'm doing actually is amazing to someone other than me. <laughs> and the other half of it is, oh man, I better, I better step it up. I better yeah. go for it. Yeah. For me, it's, it's represented an opportunity, not just for myself, but for people that I think are insanely talented and deserve every opportunity in the world. And, and, um, the door was opened up for me and, and it's my job to turn around and open the door up for the next person. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was validation of like all the stuff that I did that, that, you know, certain times like is making mountain bike videos really that cool? Is this trial stuff? Like, am I an athlete? Is doing demos worth it? Um, have I learned anything or am I just like a dirt bank? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it, you know, it's so true. I mean, that's exactly the conversation that athletes have in their head. It's like, Sometimes you're just like, what am I doing? Is this really a thing? Am I good at this? Should I retire and get a real job? <laughs> I mean, it's all, I mean, it's all the same thing. It was exactly that. Yeah. And um, I see that in, in all the athletes' eyes when we do that first presentation. And, and uh, I felt the exact same way. And um, it's, it's amazing to be able to kind of turn around and, and, open that door for someone else. Cause someone opened it for me too. And mm -hmm. in a more like, you know, uh, corporate sense, but, but still yeah. same thing, like being there is an incredible opportunity and, and I don't take it for granted. And so in the same way that an athlete may overperform, over deliver, or be so fired up that they just are like giving it their all. I'm the exact same way. I, I want to make sure that every single thing I do, I'm just like, doing as much as I possibly can everywhere that I can, however I can, you yeah. know? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's such a, a good, I think, um, motivation to have just keeping doors open for other people. And I think as athletes age, and I was talking about this on somebody else's podcast this week, but you know, it's one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is how to do that in my career, how to leave the sport in a better place, how to open doors for other people. And, uh, yeah, just thinking about like where I came from and team sport and ways in which that maybe I would be able to support other young athletes who are coming from like a non-traditional background, trying to make it in running. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think as your sort of motivations change and you get older and you uh, get a little bit of perspective and you go through some highs and lows, 
you get much more interested and open the door for other people. And I think that was born from, from your experience. Uh, well, you've added at least one ultra runner to the scene. <laughs> <so>. yes. <laughs> yes, we'll get to that. <laughs> so we're not going to talk directly about anything Red Bull related because obviously we want to be sensitive about your job and, you know, whatever. But I think it, it'll be interesting for people to learn a little bit, little bit more about what it's like being on the industry side working with athletes, particularly high-level athletes who are trying to make a big difference within their sport and who have, have a lot on the line. And to me, it seems like, you know, your job is like the absolute dream, right? Like, it seems like just the coolest job in the world. I'm sure everybody would love to do it. I'm curious to sort of start down this path what makes a good athlete in the 21st century competition and media environment? I think what makes a really good athlete in general is someone who not only is able to perform right on a on a physical level to be make to reach the top step of the podium, but also what does their entire ecosystem look like? You know, uh, do they have other things? For example, a podcast. Um, are they? You know, who is? Who's the community that, that backs that athlete and how have they kind of built and cultivated that? How do they approach their sport and their involvement in the sport? So like, who's your coach? Do you have a mental performance coach? Do you have a nutritionist? Like what kind of infrastructure have you built around yourself? And you know, it's not a, it's not a specific like check this, check this, check this box. It's more like how, like you can learn a lot about an athlete just based off of the infrastructure they've built around themselves. Mm -hmm. Who are the people, you know, there's that quote of, you're the average of the five people you spend your time with, right? Um, is that James Clear? I forget. That is such a powerful yeah. thing. So think about like who, you know, probably their coach, their running partners, yeah. you know, um, who are those five people and like, what do they bring to the table for that athlete? Um, there's so much more, and especially in today's kind of environment with all the media requests and requirements, an athlete who has a, a running start on some of that stuff, or at least has an understanding of how it works, is a huge thing. Because what are what are all brands asking for content-based stuff? And yeah. so, if you have somebody who's equally capable at firing that out as they are firing out a proper training block in a great event, then. Um, there's, there's a lot more to it than just winning everything. You know? How have you seen that change in the last decade, right? It used to be that, uh, speaking specifically about endurance sport, I mean, ultra running being a pro is a very new thing. But, you know, in the early stages of the sport, it was like all you had to do was win races and you got a sponsorship deal. Of course, it was very, very small in the early days. But now ultra runners are making pretty healthy livings, you know, the best, best guys and girls in the world. And... You know, again, like at the beginning, it was you just had to win races, and then like people started having blogspot accounts, and now it's like this freaking just inundation of different social media, YouTube, podcasts, things like that. Do you have any comments about how things have changed in the last 10 years that you think are interesting and relevant? I think that with all the athletes, you know, everybody has their own kind of approach, which is kind of fascinating to see, you know, how people assemble their, their program, right? Mm -hmm. Like what they are willing to offer, what they are bringing to the table, you know, across the board, you see not only the performance rising for all these athletes, I mean, course records go down every year, right? Yeah. Or FKTs, whatever. 
and those people are also doing all these other things. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I think the benefit from it is that the fans and other athletes in the sport get so much more out of it and are able to join a community around that athlete and get really behind them. Whereas yeah. before, maybe they didn't get that. And, and I think that the, the dollars that are being spent against that athlete are in recognition of that. Like you are someone who can, can reach out to, to all these people and, and really like share insight and, and information and, and whatever, as opposed to before, like, you know, you were getting paid because your name showed up in a magazine, you know, on, on the top yeah. of a list. Yeah. So like, you know, is, is seems the... like such an innocent, innocent time. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder if like, is the pay now commensurate with what you're actually providing as opposed to like in the past, was it more of just like a, I guess this is what we pay the guy that wins stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, for sure. Now there's, there's better, uh, yeah, there's better data to work with. Like how many people watch this? I think, you know, one of the things that's really interesting from kind of an outside standpoint, if you look at gaming, for example, yeah. you can see how many people are watching a gamer play online when they're playing online. Yeah. I can tell you how many people are watching it. Whereas before, like every magazine would just juice their numbers. Oh, we printed yeah. 300,000 copies. Well, how many people actually read it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. We just printed 300, you know. So I think that's kind of interesting that you can actually really quantify everything in a way that you could never have before. And you can make a better argument for all of that now. Well, yeah. And, and the whole storytelling thing has become so important and I think has contributed to this phenomenon of sports like ultra running becoming quote unquote more professionalized and kind of the YouTube YouTubeification of the sport I think is something that is, launched it on this kind of rocket ship trajectory that it's been on in terms of growth over the last decade since I got into the sport. And I think part of it is, you know, for people who were triathletes or whatever, endurance curious people, they see the stories of people like Ethan Newberry, the ginger runner, other YouTube contributors who tell stories within the sport with these beautiful visuals and these awesome stories of interesting athletes suddenly, you know, doing four laps around some city in an Ironman becomes a lot less attractive just because of that whole storytelling element, you know, not to say there's anything wrong with triathlon, you know, I'm a huge fan of the sport as well, but does that, uh, I mean, is that sort of what you're getting at in terms of the importance of storytelling and not only as an athlete from a, but from a brand perspective? Yeah. I mean, it's specific to Ethan, you know, I, I can tell you that the, uh, the Wonderland film that he did with Gary was the, you know, one of the main reasons why I started running. Um, and, and, you know, I was doing research about ultra running. It was around the time that you and I were talking for the first time yeah. and I wanted to know more about the space. I wanted to know more about it. And I watched this, this video on YouTube and I was like, the way that, that Gary talks about his process and what he's doing and how he's eating and how he's preparing and what he needs to do for the next segment, that opened a door in my head of, oh, I think I could do this because I could do those things and, you know, I can run. So maybe, maybe I could be an ultra runner someday. And then, you know, as you know, and the story continues, but 
But yeah, think about how many new people have come into the sport of ultra running alone, not not to mention all these other sports that are out there from seeing it done on YouTube. I mean, that's like the number two search engine in the world right yeah. now. You can learn probably just about anything shy of open heart surgery on YouTube at this point. Oh, it's so true. You know, it's funny. Um, I mean, I guess shout out to Ethan Newberry, first of all. And just to validate what you were saying, it was so cool this summer doing the Wonderland Trail myself and being personally in Ethan's presence when other people said exactly that to him of like, Hey, I saw your video with Gary Robbins that he put out, I think in 2015 or 2016 and saying, this is the reason why I got into trail and ultra running. It's just like, that is the coolest thing ever. Also shout out to Gary because shout out to Gary, super yeah. articulate when it came down to just breaking down the basics of yeah. how to run really far and yeah. making it seem possible. Like, how? <laughs> it is funny too about what you said about YouTube being a, this big search engine too, because, and I never thought about it this way, but whenever I'm traveling and going to do a race, you can learn a lot about the course that you're doing just by searching for it in the, in the search bar on YouTube and watching some previous YouTuber content creator documenting their their race on the same course. And, you know, obviously it's usually not like an Ethan Newberry doing like this high production value, beautiful um, story of the race. It's more like just, you know, your average middle of the pack ultra runner, but you can, you know, you can take notes of like, Oh, this terrain looks like it's this, you know, heavily technical in this part of the course. I got to be prepared for that. So you can actually do a lot of investigation from that standpoint. Now that I think about it, I actually ran another race because of a film Ethan did. <laughs> I did that Oregon coast race. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was a hundred percent based off. I mean, there's a million trail races out here, but I saw that one and just looked so epic. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to look that one up and do it. Mm -hmm. Cool. So talking about sports marketing a little bit more. So I think it's somewhat unique in, in that most people who work in sports marketing from a brand side usually work with athletes who are kind of within a certain niche, you know, snow sport athletes, um, endurance athletes, or, you know, even just runners sometimes. You work with like a huge mix of athletes, you know, mountain bikers, ultra runners, pro basketball players, esports athletes, roller derby, roller derby. <laughs> shout out to Lauren Much, the uh, LeBron James of roller derby. What have you learned from working with such a diverse group of athletes? I think what's really the most interesting thing is how much you can transfer over from one sport to another. And in most cases, it's something totally brand new. I've learned stuff from, you know, skate that I could take to mountain biking. I've learned stuff from gaming that we could apply. You know, it, it's really kind of amazing The just like, it's not even that they're necessarily a crossover. It's just, I can pull this element that I see here and plug it in over there. Um, I mean, not to keep going back to YouTube, but I see how our, our gaming athletes are using YouTube to share their gaming content and how people are engaging with it and seeing like how that affects their overall thing. And like, well, why couldn't a roller derby athlete have a YouTube channel? Why couldn't a mountain biker have a roller or a, a YouTube channel and understanding like what makes that go and why would it be any different for another sport? And I think you could do that in a lot of different sports. And over the years I've had the luxury to work across practically every sport and learn a little bit here and there and 
and share a bit of info from each one, something I've picked up or, or, uh, or learned or, or watched another athlete go through. And, and I think that's maybe like the best part about it. You're not siloed at all. And you, you just have full visibility into not only what the average person sees, but I get to see a little bit of the behind the scenes and I can kind of share that, that insight of, of how they're actually doing it. And yeah, just having access to that many different styles of, of athletes has been really interesting. And, and selfishly, I took, you know, advantage of that a little bit on my own. When I, when I first became an athlete manager, I wanted to learn everybody's sport. And I, uh, I realized that I was having access to arguably the, you know, one of the best athletes in whatever given sport and an interesting way to connect would be for me to learn that sport and have the, one of the best athletes in the world teach me how to do the sport. And so I was kind of sharing things with them that I had picked up from the other sports that I worked in. And then I was also kind of picking up their sports at the same time to, to dive deeper and, and, you know, using that process to also mine the knowledge that would then go back to other athletes. So it was kind of this symbiotic thing. So cool. It seems like it'd be so fun too. And I think, you know, just on a personal level, it's been fun just knowing you and you being able to share the successes of other athletes that you've worked with and why certain things worked and, um, things that I've learned just, you know, through, uh, my relationship with you and, you know, your experience working with people from all different sports. And as you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of all different different competitive, uh, things. And, and so, uh, it's been fun and I think has helped me in my career as well. So another thing I'm curious about is just kind of like what you see is the future of these kind of like non-traditional outdoor action sports. Maybe like if you, if you're comfortable, maybe pointing out a couple of athletes who you think are doing things really well in today's media environment and in their competitive, uh, context as well. Um, anything there you want to expand on? There was a moment, must've been like 10 years ago, maybe 15 where the do tour came out. I don't know if you remember this kind of huge shift in action sports. And at that point, all the, all the specifically BMXers had been reliant on bike sponsors and on clothing sponsors and shoe sponsors to, to make a living to do the thing, or they would do demos at bike shops. And when the do tour came along and they had this promise of TV sponsorship, there was a huge prize purse, practically everybody got paid for just even showing up, um, which obviously was related to the media component these athletes didn't have to rely on bike sponsors anymore. In fact, I think there was a while Jamie Bestwick just like, he was the winningest vert BMX guy. He just didn't have a bike sponsor, if I remember right. And he would just buy whichever bike was the best bike and ride that. And what a wild thing that you could do that in a sport. Like I actually don't need sponsors. I'm just going to ride what I think is the best stuff. And then I'll just cash the prize money, you know? Um, what an interesting approach to sport. Like I'm not riding or using anything other than what I think is actually the best thing to get the job done. Mm -hmm. And it was because they could rely on other sources of income to do their sport and not have to, to worry. And so I wonder if that's now the future of athletes kind of developing their own platforms, whether it's podcast, YouTube, some other kind of media outlet, some other kind of income stream, and then just 
you know, uh, competing in their best stuff or not even having to compete anymore, just creating content because there's an audience for it that's willing to support that athlete because of who they are, what they do, what they bring to the table, how they contribute to the community of, you know, in ultra running in this case. I think some version of that is where we're headed, where we're not relying on contests or maybe even sponsors to uh, a certain extent. Well, and also it gives athletes a little bit easier of an off-ramp too from the end of their competitive days. I mean, you don't have to retire as as much as you used to in the past probably then when athletes can continue to contribute to their community in, in different ways if you know they are compelled to be storytellers or um, provide commentary or analysis or that type of stuff. So if just let's talk about ultra running specifically for a sec, because I think I'd love to get your insight on this. As a sport, I mean, you follow it decently closely now. I mean, you've been you've been an ultra runner for what, four Quite or five while, years yeah. now, <laughs> and um, I'm wondering what you think our sport could do that would make it more compelling to the general public. Is there anything beyond what we've talked about now, just storytelling or? or an expansion on that subject that you think would really help our sport at the moment? I think a lot of the stuff that, for example, everyone you know asks you about Barkley. <laughs> yeah. And it's ridiculous. And it's such a crazy event. I mean, the Bigs Backyard, same thing, right? Like yeah. those are the ones because there's a crazy story involved. Are you going to get more participants in the sport? Maybe not, but could we be doing more to talk about those and share perspective on it and make it as accessible as possible? Because let's be honest, ultra running to the average person is not really accessible. And so how do you make it accessible in the way that, that Gary um, made the whole process of ultra running in that in Ethan's video accessible to, to me and my crazy brain? Yeah. How can you make all these events or all these things accessible? When you do FKTs, people get the idea of it. How much more accessible could you make that? So it's not, in my mind, I don't think it's necessarily like an increased events. It's just increased accessibility to the story of like, how can someone understand what's going on there or be amazed or... You know, there's for sure an element of ultra running that's aspirational to some people, but I think everybody can appreciate some of the other elements of like, this dude's lost in the woods for <laughs> however long, and yeah. um, you know, or, or that's how he eats for, you know, 20 hours or whatever. I think there are some stories that can be pulled out on a pretty regular basis from all of the races that, that will capture a wider attention than just runners that's probably where I'd start. What about like coverage of competition? I mean, do you ever, as you sit at home and stay up all night refreshing Twitter uh, as you watch me <laughs> compete around the world, uh, what, do you, what are you left wanting for in terms of coverage or insights into you know, who the athletes are or about the course or the race itself? Is there anything, because to me, this is, I'm, I'm trying to lead you down a path that I want to see the sport go down, okay. which is, I think, you know, the way we, we get more eyeballs on the sport and bring more people into the sport is to, and, and to be able to tell the story of the spirit of the sport, which I think is the most compelling thing to the general public of the, 
the camaraderie, the good sportsmanship, the kindred spirit that all of us have with each other. You can tell that story along with the stories of you know the best athletes in the world, Killian and Jim and Francois as they battle at UTMB or whatever. Um, that's what I would like to see, you know, if, as a fan and somebody who watches sports and loves both the competitive side and also like the human interest side and, and sort of like the story about the story about why it's special. Yeah. Anything, uh, anything there that you think would be helpful for ultra running to, uh, take the next step? I mean, first shout out, I run far for, <laughs> always for 24 hours of anxiety around every major yeah, race. Totally. Um, no, look, I, I think like go, f- go further, right? What are you actually trying to do? You're trying to hold someone's attention for, let's just call it 20 hours, right? That's first of all, nearly impossible. What are the things that you would need to do to hold person's attention for 20 hours or like a bunch of chunks within that 20 hour window it would be just an obscene amount of content that would have to exist that would be varied enough that people would be willing to stick around and and then you could break up that content with updates of like we're here at you know this aid station and this is happening like so it'd be a mix of pre-produced and and live content but like you said, like before you go to a country, you look for that video of like what's happening here. You could produce stuff beforehand that's like, this is what this climb is all about and this is what to expect here and this is what can go wrong here and let's give you all the information, let's give you all the history of the spot. Like you could go so deep into the content and then intersperse that with, you know, actual profile pieces on all the athletes that are running, you know, and, and give some real depth to every single person in the race so that you're kind of following, not just the leaderboard, but all the stories that are playing out throughout that. Um, I think, I think that's a really long window to, to really hold someone's attention. I mean, even during the race, like I'm checking it like more, but I mean, it is like every 45 minutes I hit refresh, you know, throughout that whole window. It's not like I'm sitting there there refreshing it the entire time. So I think like it can be done, but you would have to do just such a immense amount of content beforehand to be prepared for it. And, you know, look at any other major thing. Like I was thinking about baseball. There's only, what is it? Like 19 minutes of action in a baseball game yet. They've somehow perfected getting people engaged enough to sit down for three and a half hours. I mean, but they're losing that. They're losing that. I think that the, um, yeah, the model that is more applicable is the tour de France, right? I mean, they get a lot of people watching those stages and they take five, six hours most days. But then, I, I mean, I don't know the, the metrics behind, how many people are actually watching that whole time or it's just background noise or people are just sitting on their trainers or versus how many people just watch the 20, 25 minute highlight film at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's an interesting problem to solve in our sport. It's just improving that storytelling and that live experience of the fan on race day and being able to, um, I mean, because obviously that'd be a big budget thing too, to produce a 20, 24 hour thing for something like UTMB, which they already do and they do it the best of any sport or any uh, race in the world. But I mean, I guess like 
the main question to ask is what's what's the goal? Like for sure, to tell had, the story to so, get more people. So does it have to be live in that case? Like a really really well done wrap up. Like this yeah. is what went down. This was the craziest three storylines you ever. Maybe that's where the focus needs to be, and and make it in a way that's that's approachable for just a normal person to understand, yeah. as opposed to, you know, here's the full breakdown and here's every update from the last twenty four hours. Like, is that really what's going to get people outside of ultra running to pay attention? I don't think so. I think it's got to have to be in that case. The events over. Here yeah. are the three main storylines that are interesting to like the average person, which may have nothing to do with the people who actually won or whatever. Like we retell that story about you in Croatia all the time because yeah. everyone's been chased by a dog. It has nothing, almost nothing to do about racing or about winning or breaking a course record. It's yeah, our guy was like halfway through and he got bit by a dog. You know, and people can relate to that. And even if you hadn't won that race or broken the course record, that's still a crazy story. Yeah. You got chased by a dog in the middle of a race. And like that's something that people can can approach. And you know, we made that whole segment just based off of that. Yeah. So what are you know, what are the what are the stories related to, you know, like the year that Walmsley broke the the record at Western States, like actually I would love to know more about that encounter with the bear as he's like about to break the course record. Yeah. And like, you know, what, what is that all about? I want yeah. to know more. And, and like people would probably really latch onto that story. So I think it's about like being really focused in on what are the stories that people outside of ultra running actually care about yeah. and how I do we tell those? My bias is always like that. I feel like I'm the fan that I want to like, speak to right and i i have to understand that i'm not the average fan you know I'm, i am the guy who will turn on iron man kona and sit in front of my laptop for eight hours once a year and yeah. watch that sort of slow boring racing and and enjoy like the the stories that they build around it but i think you know that kind of fan is already in the door when it comes right. to, to running and and so if your goal is truly to grow the sport you've got to just speak their language totally so Last question on this um, this subject before we move on to your ultra running career, <laughs> and you know you don't need to spend too much time on it, but um, you know obviously in your line of work you see athletes win world championships. You've also seen athletes have life changing injuries. How do you think about being a supportive, um, yeah, like a you know just like a a pillar of support in the athlete's life through the good times and the bad times? Um, I think when it comes to the way that I interact with all the athletes, whether they work with me or just our friends and, and out into the world, um, I'm just supposed to be there as this kind of, yeah, bigger picture support to what they're doing. You know, I want to back my friends that are out there giving it their all. And in the same way that we approach all this you know, other stuff of like looking at the bigger picture, it's the same exact thing. Like what's the bigger picture and what are the things that I can actually do in this moment? If somebody has an injury, for example, like what are the things I can do to help? What, what access to resources do I have or what relationships do I have that can help that person? You know, just like you would do with any of your friends, yeah. I guess. Uh, but truthfully, like those, those moments are on opposite ends of the spectrum and those are, hesitate to say the easiest to work with but those ones you have a very clear set of things that you have to do 
the hardest moments for me are when people don't finish to their what they know they can do, you know, a, a fourth, fifth, sixth place yeah. finish and like a big thing that they may have or should have won is where I find it the hardest because it's like, you did all right. Um, <laughs> what do I, good, better luck next time, but still good. Like yeah. I couldn't have done it. Yeah. That's where I struggle the most because everywhere else, you know exactly what you need to do. It's that in between where you're like, you're, you know, not every race goes perfect. Not every day is perfect. I'm still here to back you. We're still homies. Yeah. I'm still going to give 110% of trying to get you over the line for the next race. That's where I struggle the most. Yeah. I that's still so interesting. Haven't figured it out yet. Interesting. Well, man, I mean, you've been so supportive of me and I'm sure I speak for everybody who's worked with you professionally, but like in my year from hell last year, you were the first guy to you know, come and voice your support and call me when you knew I was down and make sure that I wasn't, you know, on the verge of retirement, et cetera. So thank you so much. I mean, it really does make a difference. And let's uh, now pivot to your, your career as an ultra runner and how I've supported you. No. Perfect. So you alluded to this earlier, but why don't you just like tell people why and how you uh, got into ultra running? For me, having access to the best athletes in the world selfishly i just want to be like just like neo in the matrix like i know kung fu you know <laughs> so i could call you and say dylan i would like to be an ultra runner can you help me be an ultra runner and you did you did exactly that you gave me a 12-week plan you told me what to do you told me what gear to get you gave me all that stuff and i had had that experience with three or four athletes prior so i learned all these different things and i learned stuff other than just how to train for it but like techniques nutrition all these different elements that kind of played into performing at that level or as close as i could get at that time yeah so you gave me the the 12 week plan i followed it i hit you up probably way more than i should have to get insight and info but that was the whole point was that i could learn really quickly all the fundamentals of running really far and have the right training program to prepare myself and just send it and you were there for my first ever race i think you've been to more races than my family has actually <laughs> damn straight um, but yeah you were there at, at way too cool and and waiting for me at the finish line and then uh yeah, once I had that first one in the bag, it was a wrap, you know, like, all right, let's work on the next training plan. And and you've guided my progress from, you know, 50Ks to 50 milers. We've run a couple races together now. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, just chasing down that. So are you seriously thinking about running 100 miles someday? That's kind of the goal. I mean, it was 50K, 50 mile, 100K, 100 mile, and it was supposed to be 100K this year. My My actual goal was to qualify for western states and to qualify for boston in the same year and i was teed up with a marathon and a 100k race uh i who knows if i would have been able to run fast enough for boston after firing out 100k but that was the goal you know i, I mean, turned with this coaching i mean <laughs> definitely i think i stood a pretty good chance and and uh you know it, it was like the right goal for my my 40th birthday or or the year that i turned 40 i guess yeah. um well, you know, for my 40th birthday party, I ran 40 miles, which you joined for. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just, yeah, it's like, what are the goals that I can set for myself and, and how can I challenge myself in new ways? And over the last couple of years of, of running ultras, I realized it's super attainable. And, and the more that you get into it and the more you learn and the more you kind of 
um, have these experiences of like, oh, okay, I can run 50 miles. I've done this now a couple of times and I know how to do the nutrition thing and I've got this worked out and I've got my spots around my house where I, you know, around where we live that I can train. I'd like the program pretty dialed in. Yeah. So I just feel like if, if I, if I fuel properly, I could run indefinitely. So if I could do a 50 mile race, I could for sure do a hundred K. If I can do a hundred K, I can for sure oh, do a hundred miles. You can do a hundred miles. Yeah. yeah. I was just curious if we were actually going to be training for that anytime soon, but I still got to knock down this hundred K, but it's the plan. Heck yeah. Well, we also got to run around the Lewitt trail together, which was awesome this, uh, this fall. I know you got to get going soon, so we won't talk about that in any detail, but that was fun. And you can check it out on your YouTube channel, which we should talk about now. <laughs> yes. So, you know, you just launched your own YouTube channel. It's a, I guess a return to your roots as a filmmaker, content creator. Talk about what motivated that and what value you've, you've seen out of it just in the short time since you've launched and what your plans are. My plan with the YouTube channel was really a creative outlet. You know, this year has been really crazy. I've been essentially trapped in my house with uh, two toddlers and, you know, full-time working, you know, Zoom meetings, all that stuff. And not that I'm going crazy, but I just need something to like take my mind off of all the mayhem that's surrounding all of us really. And, I've been wanting to do videos again for you know for quite some time, and I just kind of set it as a as a, a development thing for myself. Just to like, okay, I know how to do the video thing. I would love to learn more about YouTube because this seems like kind of where everything is headed in terms of athletes and sports and stuff like that. And I know that it's not something that you just like post and you're good to go. I know there's a lot more to the back end of it. I know that you have to do certain things to, to make it actually work, but I'm also really curious to see how it goes so that I can take all that information and share it with my friends and athletes and stuff like that. So that's really where it all started. And then also I have just thousands of <laughs> gigs worth of, of uh, all this like old footage of free ride that I always kind of wanted to share the stories. You know, back in the day we were making not to date myself entirely, but we made videos on VHS yeah. like that long ago. And then we made videos on DVD, and then we stopped around 2008 or 2009 and haven't made anything since. Like, mm -hmm. I had 10 DVD titles to my name, I think. Anyway, all that footage, at the time, you had to go through proper distribution, and people would have to go to a bike shop to buy it, and maybe a magazine would write it up or whatever. So a lot of people just never saw some of these epic stories from, like, all over the world, Africa, New Zealand, Japan, wherever. And I realized that I could just re-edit it, tell the story, put it on YouTube and share it and more people would see it now than ever did when it was on a DVD. On top of that, you know, the trials thing, I still can do all that stuff and I've been riding a lot more in quarantine. So <laughs> I just started filming some of that. Um, I got a couple new bikes. I got a new Danny McCaskill style bike this week. And just going out and filming basic how-tos to, to kind of bring back. Because there's a, there's a few people who could do it really well, and then no one else can really ride trials. Yeah. And so having, you know, 10 or 15 years of experience, 
I should be sharing that knowledge with other riders who see the pinnacle of it in Danio and Fabio and everyone else. But where do you even start? Well, yeah. come check this out. I'll show you. Yeah. I'll show you how to practice all those moves in your garage or your basement or whatever. And just want to give people a foundational thing. I've been talking to Payson and Kate too about like, what are some things that a cross country rider would want to learn? I can teach that stuff yeah. too. Cause all the skill boils down to what you can do on two wheels. So Payson McKelvin and Kate Courtney. Right. Shout out. Um, cool. So, uh, I mean, are you good on time? You got to go. Oh, no, we're good. We got uh, Okay, cool. I'm curious before we let you go, uh, or I, I want you to just give people a, a little taste of the, a series that you've been doing within your YouTube channel about uh, various nutritional um, offerings on the market called Supplement Sommelier. Why don't you uh, tell people what the, what the theme is there? Supplement Sommelier is just guinea pigging anything I can find to eat while I run. So... You know, there's the basics like the goo and the cliff bar stuff that you get at all the aid stations, but like what else is out there? For example, I'd never heard of Pro Bar before, and maybe this is just my ignorance, but I'd never heard of this this brand before. This is great. And I went on uh I just went online and, and started looking at like what else was out there and, and just trying it all out. And that's it. I pretty much just run and try new things and tell you if it's good or bad. <laughs> it's pretty simple, I guess, but <laughs> Uh, it's great. It's a brilliant idea. And uh, you can look out for our supplement sommelier um, video from our the lap green, around the, the green trail. gummy gauntlet. Yeah, the green gummy gauntlet. <laughs> so uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. Well, Lucy, before we let you go, dude, I know you're you're a curious person at your heart. You're a big book reader. Any uh, great books that you've read recently you want to share with the audience before we let you go? Have you read Breath yet? I have. Just oh, finished. Fantastic yeah. book. That book blew my mind, just kind of melted it a little bit. Um, I'm reading, so right now I'm reading Radical Candor, which is kind of a fascinating, mm. it's more of like a management style book. I'm trying to think about other stuff I've read this year. This year has been such an interesting year for reading. I've been trying to like grow and, and develop in so many ways. Of course, like, you know, over the spring and summer, read a lot of books based off of what was happening in our country at the time. Um, I also read, I reread Dune just because I needed a little break from all the other stuff. Alchemist is always a, a perennial favorite. I'm trying to think what else I've read that's been life-changing. Endurance is an easy one that everyone should probably yeah. read. Perfect, well, that's time, a... perfect time to blank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, dude... Thanks so much for doing this. First podcast. I can't believe First it. First one. This is so fun. We did it. And dude, I seriously, I appreciate you so much. And it's so, it's a privilege for me to say that on the record, in a recorded context, you've helped me out so much and I love you for it and I appreciate you and uh, look forward to our little run this Friday. Yes. Oh yeah. Another supplement small yes. <laughs> All right, bro. Thanks so much. What'd you guys think? I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I would definitely encourage you to check out the show notes this week. You'll find some links to lots of different stuff that Aaron's doing, including his Instagram profile. Throw him a follow there. You can also smash the subscribe button on Aaron's new YouTube channel called Lutzy Time. 
I also have a link to uh, the Supplement Sommelier Green Gummy Gauntlet video that he and I made just a couple of months ago when we were out for a huge mission around Mount St. Helens. It's pretty humorous and pretty fun. So check out all that stuff. Again, so, so appreciative to Aaron. He has helped me so much, both on a personal and professional level as a man and as an athlete. Honestly, my career would not be the same without him. So, um, you know, he's the best. Really do appreciate it. You guys are the best too. If you don't mind, throw me a rating review on iTunes or whatever. Super appreciative if you could do that if you have two minutes. Uh, it really does help out and it makes me feel so good about myself. So really appreciate it. If you do have the time to spare, if not, no big deal. We've got more great stuff coming up, including big announcements. What? Coming soon. Okay. Love you. Bye.